This morning we want to continue the Gospel of Luke. Am I on? Yes. Okay. Chapter 11, we have found Christ dealing with some pretty significant theological issues as he confronts them in one event, really, in the casting out of a demon that was mute. We have several accusations and events occur um, based questioning his authority, seeking signs from him, questioning the whole activity of Satan. And he has been addressing them one at a time. He began by talking about the authority by which he ministered and defended that authority, and very appropriately. He then went into some length, really, about understanding of the demonic realm and how it works. In fact, it is among the, you might say it's only three verses, but it is among some of the longest in one setting of God's Word in terms of giving us understanding of that realm. And we looked at that last week. He is going to also deal with one other thing that was mentioned back in verse 16, and that was that they were testing him, seeking from him a sign from heaven. And he's going to address that, and that's going to be most of the rest of this chapter is addressing that. But just before he is able to handle this third category, he is interrupted. And really, verses 27 and 28 of Luke chapter 11 could almost be thrown in with verses 14 through 7, 14 through 16, where we have the introduction of some of the issues that Christ is teaching with regard to. But this one is thrown in as it interrupts him in his instruction time and is there that we'll spend our time this morning in uh, his addressing this very direct and very uh, important area of doctrine. Before we do so, let's go over in prayer. Lord God, we do thank you for your word before us. We thank you for your spirit within us and the promise of that spirit to illuminate our minds to your word. And we pray for that activity to occur here today. Not only in my mind that I might speak your word of truth, for certainly that is needed. But in each one, under the hearing of this message, that your spirit might have liberty there to turn the light on in our thinking, in our hearing. And then, Lord, also even further, you might liberty and certainly do that work that you've promised to do of convicting. For just as certainly as we need your illumination, understand your word, it is also necessary for us to have your conviction to obey your word, to surrender ourselves to it. So Lord, we pray for such work of your spirit this morning. In Christ Jesus' name, amen. Well, we come to verse 27 and we have a interruption. And the interruption at first seems like a very positive thing. It is certainly an interruption by someone who intends it to be a very positive uh, statement. It is someone who is uh, in the multitudes who are listening, and of course uh, they are wrapped 
listening. They are, they are enraptured in this. A great event has just occurred. A man who has been mute, demon-possessed, has been has had that demon cast out. He is able to speak and give glory to God. And in fact, the multitudes marveled. It says at the end of verse 14. So there's a great multitude. There is, of course, dissension like there is in every crowd. There's always dissenters, those who disagree, those who will find fault, those who will uh, create discord, if you will, no matter how powerful and how matter, no matter how obvious it is that what's going on in the midst is, is godly, there will be those who will introduce discord. And so we have been dealing with that, and really from two different perspectives, Christ has been dealing with that, and here comes another insertion, and we want to read it very carefully. Uh, verse 27, this little interruption, as, and it happened as he spoke these things. So he is in the midst of speaking, and one out of the multitude does this. That a certain woman from the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you, and the breast which nursed you. But he said, More than that, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. And it is this interruption that we want to handle this morning extensively. Not so much, um, and, um, well, let me see, how do I want to say this? I want to handle from several different directions. Because it's really that last statement of Christ that I want to focus in on. But to get there, we're going to have to understand some of the mentality behind what is blurted out in the midst of this audience and the uh, rightness of what was going on. So here is Christ engaging himself in doctrinal uh, discussion and teaching, instruction. Uh, he is going to do that even further. And these are very powerful statements that he is making. He is demonstrating great authority, great instruction um, in, in areas that really men don't know a lot about. We conjecture to it and we have this pseudo-knowledge of it, but in terms of real hard facts, we don't have a lot of information about the demonic world. We don't have a lot of understanding really of the, the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of Satan and how they interact, and yet here Christ is giving that. And then the whole later discussion that we're going to have starting next week about what is it that should evidence for us the power of God as truth to be obeyed. And we're going to look at that, and then there is some powerful prophetic teaching that he's going to give us to close out this chapter um, in the form of several woes that should immediately bring to mind things out of Isaiah, the prophet. But here, right in the midst of this, is this interjection from the crowd. And this woman lifts up her voice. Um, she is certainly in agreement with what she is hearing. She is in agreement with what is going on. She is uh, excited about it, uh, apparently. Um, I, I'm not sure that she fully grasps what he has just said. Um, being excited about something being taught and understanding something being taught are two different things. Okay? Um, I have been in places where people are very excited and uh, they, they're, they're thrilled to, you know, whether whatever you're topic you're talking about, uh, often in camp ministries, even when talking with uh, uh, in India or in Peru or in other places, they're very excited, um, but they don't always get it. And so your instruction, 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 they're excited, they're thrilled, but they don't really 
grasp what was just communicated fully enough to really appreciate how far it goes and, uh, and what it requires of them. And so, uh, and I think that often happens in congregations where you hear a lot of amens. I'm going to throw that out at you because we don't have any amens. No one said amen right there. Amen. <laughs> um, and I sometimes wonder, did they understand what was just said? Did they grasp its significance? Did they really fully let it land on them? Or is this just a, a way of saying, I'm with you, I, I'm following you, I'm excited about what you just said, although I don't really comprehend what it requires of me? And I always struggle with pastors that, that solicit the amen by saying amen. Amen? All right. Well, I got one amen out of you. The first one was an example. The second one was a solicitation. Um, if you didn't get that, that's because it went right over your head. Okay? And you shouldn't have said amen because you didn't get it. But we have a similar situation here. This is pretty profound teaching that he's been giving thus far. And we've taken a couple of Sundays to investigate it. And she, she, in her excitement of the events and excitement of hearing Christ teaching and, and recognizing, probably she was recognizing that he was silencing the religious authorities that were trying to undermine what he was teaching. She recognized at least that. And for that, um, she's excited. And so she blurts out this statement and demonstrating really uh, a couple of errors. And we want to deal with those errors, first of all. Number one error was that she blurted it out. And by she, I mean she blurted it out. And I'm going to offend half the congregation, but that's okay, because the other half will put you in line. No. (laughs) I read... Another passage of scripture earlier in the service for a reason, and, and there's actually two reasons I read it. And I'm sure our ladies picked up on at least one of those reasons already, where it said that if in the church that it is, uh, shameful for a woman to speak, to, to have that kind of a public forum, if you will, that this is not God's intent for her, that God has another intent for her in the church. It doesn't mean she has no purpose or role in the church, but it has a different purpose or role in the church. Um, And here, in the Gospel of Luke, I think we have the influence of Paul's instruction there to Corinth, and, and you see it in Luke's statements. Outside of a couple of pregnant women, early in the book of Luke, who were under the direct ministry of the Holy Spirit and were carrying either John the Baptist, who was filled with the Spirit in the womb, or Jesus himself, um, We only have a few statements by women. And this is one of them. And there's only two other ones, both of which cause problems. The first one was Martha. You remember her? And she had a complaint. And Christ corrected her. Then we have this gal. This is the third. And again, I'm not counting the Mary and uh, Elizabeth. Um, very different circumstances there. These gals were obviously under the Holy Spirit's uh, uh, direction, and they were not speaking in a public setting. This was a private conversation between Elizabeth and Mary that we are privy to. Did we get that? 
a private conversation between Mary and Elizabeth that we get to listen in on by the Holy Spirit directing Luke to share that conversation with us. So here's a public setting, Martha in this very public setting, um, because they're not just feeding Jesus, it's not, well, semi-public, we'll call semi-private. Um, we have all the disciples there, and she has a complaint. Jesus Christ is teaching, that teaching is interrupted, so Martha can complain. God corrects her. Now Jesus is teaching again in front of a multitude. This gal lifts up her voice, interrupts it, and has what she believes is certainly something to try to affirm Christ as if he needs her help. And she's going to be corrected. We have one other instance in which we have in a semi-private setting a witness of the gals, and I almost hesitate to even include it with this, and uh, and... That's with regard to the gal's reporting of the resurrection. And it's fascinating to see how the disciples responded to that. They, they acted as if, are you crazy? You're crazy or you haven't had enough sleep or something's wrong with you. And we do have, um, one other that I don't want to get into right now because it's going to come up and I want to speak about it. But, uh, we have these examples. What do they communicate to us? They communicated to us a principle. And that principle is that there is a role God intends for us. And that role is built into society that it is not an American thing. It is not a, uh, something that a, a bunch of men got together and decided upon. But it is built upon creation itself. The order in which God created is what Scripture keeps going back to. That man was created alone with full authority, and that God created for him a helper suitable for him. And it is in that uh, context, and that all happened before there was sin. And therefore, we take our lead, our guide, from that environment before there was sin. In a perfect environment, there was still this order. There was still these authorities that were established by God. There was still the head, the husband. There was still submission by the wife. There was still this order. And God demonstrated that order at that first sin where he held Adam accountable for not only his own action but that of his wife as well. You see, with authority also comes accountability. And God has placed that squarely upon the head. And so we have uh, this error that she put it upon herself to lift up her voice in this setting, in this crowd. You might say, well, if this is wrong, what can we do that's right? Well, we have some examples of that throughout the Gospel of Luke as well. We've studied a few of them, and I want to remind you of them here. This is not the core of my message this morning, but it's something I think needs to be spoken. Um, I think it's unfair to say that this gal was wrong for speaking out what she spoke out in the manner that she did it. Certainly that is true, but to say only that I think is, is imbalanced. So let's look at some things that women did do right in Luke, shall we? We just read chapter, we just studied not so long ago, chapter 10, in verse 40. 
about Martha. But I want to go one verse earlier. She had a sister named Mary. What did she do? She sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. From everything we can tell from what Christ said, it is the fact that Mary chose what was good. So she has chosen that good part and it's not going to be taken away from her. And so we have an example of Mary who says, I'm going to sit in here. And by the way, I want to very emphatically state that because it's going to be attached to the core of my message which is still to come. She heard. She wanted to sit and listen to Jesus. Not interject her ideas in his teaching, but just sit and listen. Let's go back to chapter 7, verse 13. Find another example that is applauded. This is the widow of Nain. The widow of Nain was also with a large crowd. They were leaving the city in verse 12, if you recall. The Lord saw her. He had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. You do not find her doing anything but what is expected. She is mourning for the loss of her son, her only son. And in that condition, the Lord had compassion on her. You will not find it similarly with the woman we encounter today. This is a gal who is demonstrating her sorrow, who is demonstrating and expressing her emotions in an honest fashion. And God had compassion on her. Gals, we know, and every man here knows, that you are more emotional than we are. God designed you that way. When it is honestly expressed, it will solicit compassion or should. When it is expressed in a manner that is quiet, meek, subordinate, it will solicit what was solicited in our Lord. And the fact is, most women know this. And sometimes they use it dishonestly, if we are honest, right? It never hurts to turn on some tears if you're not getting your way, right? We see it exemplified for us on TV and we laugh at that, but the reality is, is that it is. You are capable of manipulation through this. So this is honest hurt that is being shown. We're still in chapter 7. Jump forward with me a little bit. To, um, mm, I have the wrong verse. Verse 40, I wrote 30, but it should be verse 40. Oh no, there it is, okay. Verse 37. Somewhere in between verse 30 and 40. I don't know why I didn't finish it. It says, Behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner... When she knew that Jesus sat at the table and the Pharisees brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil, stood at his feet behind him, weeping, and she began to wash his feet with her tears and wipe them with her hair of her head, and she kissed his feet and anointed them with fragrant oil. And Christ applauds this activity. Did it draw some attention? Yes, but it was not intended to do that. Her intention was to glory, glorify Jesus Christ through her humble service of his basic need. 
something that his host was supposed to have done. And so Christ corrects him and says, in verse 45, you gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Her sins, which are many, are forgiven because she loved much. She wanted to express her love for her Savior. She knew she had a great need. She did not interrupt Him. She did not take a high role. She came in and took the humblest position and the humblest act that she could and used um, what she her most precious possession and broke it upon her Savior to express her love for Him. And gals, that is your role. both in the home and in the church. And do not underestimate the power of demonstrated love through service of basic needs. We have another example in chapter 21 of Luke. Turn there with me very quickly. Chapter 21, verses 1 through 4, it says, And he looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury, And he saw also a certain poor widow putting in two mites. And he said, Truly I say that this poor widow has put in more than all, for all these out of their abundance have put in offerings for God, but she out of her poverty put in all the livelihood that she had. Here is a gal who does not trying to bring attention to herself and very modestly coming in, doing the very smallest thing from man's perspective, putting in a couple of pennies. something that most people would have overlooked, thought little of, and Christ said, this is a powerful, wondrous act of worship on her part. It is a demonstration of her faith in me. It is a demonstration of her love for me. And it is in this manner that this gal here is applauded by Christ. By quiet, humble giving of all that she really had. I have one more I want to share with you, and that is chapter 13. Kind of jumping around in Luke, but I kept it all in Luke for you. Chapter 13, I want us to begin in verse 10. It would help if I got the right chapter myself. There we go. Now, he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity 18 years, was bent over, and could no way raise herself up. And when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said to her, Woman, you are loose from your infirmity. He laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. We are going to be encountering a lot of people. We're going to be crying out to God. Most of them will be men. And it's fascinating that now we have both the widow of Nain... We have the sinner who came in and said nothing but did this act of service at Jesus' feet, weeping as well. We have this one who did not call out to God, did not call out to Jesus Christ, but Christ put his attention on her. I want you to see that. He was just walking along in verse 10 there. It says that he was just walking And there was this gal who was bent over and couldn't raise herself up. She was in the synagogue. 
She had had that for 18 years. Do you see her asking for anything? No. She does not speak out. She's in a public place in the synagogue itself. And she doesn't stand. She kind of crooks. But Jesus gives her his attention. And she becomes the focal point of the entire service that Sunday. Not by what she said, but by her presence there, humbly, meekly, and quietly being there, brought glory to God. She was made straight and glorified God. And it brought contention there that Christ wanted to be brought out there so that he could bring instruction on the Sabbath and what it is and what it isn't to the religious leaders. So this is all preliminary information. I want you gals to know that there, this, this lady was wrong in blurting this out and interrupting Christ and she's going to be corrected, but that's not the only reason she's going to be corrected is because this is a gal interrupting the teachings of Christ and she should have remained silent. That's not the only thing, but it's also the content of what she said was in, was error. And it's this error that has been introduced into church after church, not only in one uh religious groups, but in many of them, and we want to address that. Her statement was to bring, blessed is the one who bore you in the breast which nursed you, the womb that bore you. She is essentially trying to say that whoever your mother is, oh, she's lucky to be your mom. But what it comes off as doing is elevating the wrong person that somehow Mary had any glory, any part, any any uh, input on what Christ's ministry was all about was error. This idea that somehow she was on a, a peer level with Jesus Christ is error. It is as if someone was bringing in a royal crown on a pillow. And here is this bejeweled crown on this satin pillow. And we come in and we deliver it. And the, everyone looks at this scene and says, Wow, look at that pillow. Isn't that something? The little satin pillow is not what the scene is about. It's about the royal crown. And here, this gal, it, even though she wants to in her heart, and I'm convinced in her mind, she wants to affirm and, and, and bring glory, she does it in a wrong way, and Christ must correct her. And she's not alone. She's not the first one. She won't be the last one. But it is necessary for us to see this truth that there is no one that can be placed on the level of Christ in our esteem. No one. None of the saints of old, none of the prophets, none of the apostles, none of them 
can be placed at that level and certainly not Jesus' mother. He has already dealt with this once, if you'll recall, earlier here in this Gospel, when his mother and his brothers came and he said, listen, he has the exact same answer in that environment. He says, no, here is my family. Those who hear my word and do it. And he is being very consistent here in instructing this gal and says, more than that. And it's almost a statement of saying, in a very polite way, um, wrong. There are people on earth more blessed that can have more of the blessing of God than my mother. And so, if I want to entitle this message, I would say, more blessed than Mary. Because that's essentially what God says. Jesus Christ offers this here, that you can be more blessed than Mary. Now, Mary is described as highly favored, highly graced, who is called blessed among women um, in that context. But here, Christ makes it very clear that... (laughs) We have access to that kind of blessing. And by that, I do not mean to say we can be elevated to Mary's level in heaven, but rather I'm trying to make you understand that Mary is down here with us at our level. She is of the creatures. She is not the creator. She was a vessel used by God for a purpose. And that was to glorify His name, not her name. And so, we have this consistent instruction that only one is to be glorified in our midst, and that is Jesus Himself. And so Christ corrects her and says, Oh, you have opportunity to be more blessed than my mom. More than that. More than any blessing that comes to a person of carrying the Christ child. More blessing than that is available to you. Well, she's the most, she's blessed among women. Yes. More than that. You can be blessed by God. You'd be more blessed than Mary. More favored than she. Receive more grace than what she has received. How? Blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. This is now the second time, actually the third time. Luke chapter 8 is the one I referred to earlier where Mary and the brothers come. Chapter 8, verse 31, they begged him that he would not, I'm sorry, got the, I have got something wrong with my vision here that I cannot see the verses. 7, verse 28, not 8. It says, For I say to you, among those born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. So the question was about John. Who is greater? You can be greater than John. We go on to chapter 8, verse 21. He answered and said, My mother and my brothers are these who hear the word of God and do it. Which is the identical answer he gives this gal. The least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John. John is great. 
Mary, blessed. John, great. Mary, blessed. I agree. But God has more for you than that. The least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John. And those who hear my word and do it are more blessed than Mary. More blessed than her. For you have received more grace. And stand in a position of great honor. For you are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. For you are sons of the kingdom of God that is in you. So we have this careful instruction. And I want to break it down to its two parts. Done this before. When we saw it back there in chapter 8, we're going to do it again. First, you have to hear the Word of God. I could go back and rehearse the message from back in chapter 8, verse 21. But it doesn't say, just bless are those who do what I tell them to do. It begins by hearing what He has to say. And I want to share with you that I think this is why this blessing doesn't come. is isn't because of our disobedience, because of our lack of hearing. We hear what we want to hear. And we ignore what we don't want to hear. And in that way, we are much like the disciples throughout the Gospel of Luke. What are we going to find out about them? Is that they are going to be dull in hearing what they don't want to hear. He's going to tell them over and over again, point blank, that he's going to go to Jerusalem and die. And they don't get it. And I read the words of what he said to them, and I said, how can they not understand what he said? How can they not get it? But they didn't want to hear that, and therefore they didn't hear that. Some of you to hear today who heard me read out of 1 Corinthians chapter 14 didn't hear it because you don't want to hear it. That simple. Some of you here today, gals, I'm going to talk to you because I picked on you a little bit earlier this morning. I didn't. I'm just preaching God's word. But um, you didn't hear it because you don't want to hear it. This is my role? I don't like that, so I'm not going to hear it. The first step in this process is that we hear the Word of God and then obey it. And if we are not under the hearing of the Word of God, and that is that we come and we sit and we are resistant, realize who is in all these multitudes that Christ is speaking to, that there's opposition in every single setting He teaches in because they do not want to hear what He has to say. In every church where the Word of God is preached, there is similarly those who will not hear it because they don't want to. They don't like what it requires of them. They would rather say, well, that's your opinion. And I've heard that. Oh, I can't even tell you what I'd like to do when I hear that. Well, yeah, that was an interesting opinion you had today. That's what I'd like to do, but I, I don't. I, there, there's a few things I'd like to say, too, right then, that I don't. And I probably should. I don't know. Maybe I'm just not bold enough. Um, I'm not here to tell you what I think. And I, I hope you understand that. 
that that is my prayer all week long. That is why I prepare. That is my prayer here before I preach is because the more Kirk that is in this message, the worse this message is. This needs to be Holy Spirit. This needs to be God's Word. This needs to be about the truth, not about anyone's opinion. And if you think I'm just up here giving an opinion, I've had men, people tell me that. Well, you have an interesting opinion on the subject. I don't want my opinion out here. Frankly, this isn't my opinion. My opinion, if you want to know it, is that there are some gals that have sharp intellects and a sharp tongue and probably do circles around us. That's my opinion. But my opinion doesn't matter. Because I have to submit myself to God's Word. You see, we first have to hear it. We first have to be willing to let it sink in and penetrate our intellect, penetrate our thinking. And I want to challenge you that I could go through passage after passage here and read it, and it will not penetrate your thinking. Because you don't want to hear it. I could post it on Facebook over and over again, and it will never penetrate people's thought life significantly enough to get to the second step, which which is demanded of us for this kind of blessing, and that is to obey it. We never get to that point because we don't hear the first half. We don't hear His Word, and therefore we don't obey it. And so, I could post and I could speak and I could say it every Sunday um, right out of Psalm 101. I will say nothing wicked before my eyes, O Lord. Boom. The Word of God. Do you hear it? I will say nothing wicked before my eyes, O Lord. Turn with me. You didn't believe me because that's my opinion. Psalm 101. Verse 3, I will set nothing wicked before my eyes. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. I will set nothing wicked before my eyes. I think I include verse 1, O Lord, in there. Um, this is about a person who says, I want to behave wisely in a perfect way. Oh, when will you come to me? I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. How? How are you going to keep a perfect way and a perfect heart? Number 1, I will set nothing wicked before my eyes. I hate the work of those who fall away. I shall, it shall not cling to me. Did you hear that? Did you hear it? I mean, really, did you hear it? If you really heard that, and you really believe that it means what it says, what are you going to look at when you go home this afternoon? What are you going to set before your eyes? But it's just football. Really? Have you watched the commercials? Your kids are. Your grandkids are. I also had nothing wicked before my eyes. Why? Because I don't want the wickedness of those who fall away to cling to me. I could go on and on and on. I already read out of 1 Corinthians 14 a bunch of stuff that we don't like. Some of you got encounters with Pastor Reddy about covering your head 
women in church, which they do in India very consistently, um, not just in churches, but they also do it in temples and other things, and so it's a cultural aspect to it, certainly. But there are things in God's Word that we just aren't comfortable with, so we choose not to hear it. I can sit and be concerned about people obeying God's Word, but frankly, at this point, I'm not sure that anyone is listening to God's Word. I think we are so far from obedience because we are so far from hearing. That until we surrender our intellect to the truth and acknowledge it as truth, we will never surrender our heart to do it. Ever. And as the arrogance of our mind to say we can decide what is opinion and what is mandate out of God's Word, what is cultural and what is not cultural in God's Word, we have the intellect to do that, and I would contend you do not. You are not hearing God's truth. Let's read 1 Corinthians 14 again, shall we? Let's see if we're hearing it. There's some scary things in here for me. I'll be honest with you. There are things here that we read that I don't like at all. Even especially the um, verse 39. says, Brothers, desire earnestly to prophesy and do not forbid to speak with tongues. Very specific thing. Do not forbid it. Um, but remember what tongues are. They're languages and not gibberish. So I do not forbid any of you to speak in any known language that needs to be spoken here so somebody knows. If any of you can... Do that, and God allows I'm not going to shut you up. Okay? Is there anyone here that doesn't know English? There is, well, a Rowan, in Spanish. Uh, let's see here. He knows English, though, more than he says. Just like I know Spanish more than I say. There are a lot of things in this chapter I'm very uncomfortable with. Are you? We read through this and it says that um, there should be two or three prophets speak and let the others judge. What is that all about? I want you to notice how much it keeps telling us to keep silent, keep silent, keep silent, keep silent, keep silent. Not just the women, but it says if something's revealed, let the first one keep silent in verse 30. Verse 32, the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. Boy, that's a hard thing for me to swallow. But it's true. God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. Do you really believe that? That whenever you are in an environment where it is chaotic, you know the Spirit of God is not at work there. I don't care how much you paid for the concert ticket, that is truth. I don't care how Christian the group is, that is truth. God is not a God of chaos. When chaos reigns, you know the Spirit of God is not at work there. End of discussion. Do you believe that? Can you hear it? Do it. Women keep silent in church. We love, you know, the men all like this one. And, uh, but, if they want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands at home. Don't come and ask me. Ask your own husband. If you don't have a husband, then we can talk. But um, there's a chain of command here in your life before God. 
Husbands, you have an important role to play for your wife. Because if you're not hearing the word of God, guess what? You have no value to her. And you're supposed to be of value to your wife in this area. I really don't like verse 38 at all. If anyone is ignorant, let them be ignorant. That goes against everything I am. My children hear it regularly. Ignorance isn't was it bliss. That's the statement. Ignorance is bliss. That is a fallacy. That's a lie. Ignorance is expensive. That's what I tell my children. Ignorance is expensive. You think education is expensive? Try ignorance. Costs a lot more. I'm largely ignorant about certain things because I choose to be. I'm ignorant about how engines work because I don't like them. I'm ignorant. I try plumbing. I hate plumbing. I hate, I hate plumbing. Has everybody got that? And for some reason, God keeps giving me a leaky faucet. Buy a new one, it just won't go away. But it, but that ignorance of how to fix an engine costs me. So I look at this verse and I say, well, so I should just leave ignorance alone. If someone wants to be ignorant, let them be. Because fundamental to the learning process is a desire to learn. We think we can mandate kids go to school and they'll learn, and we're wrong. If they don't want to learn, you can send them to school however many hours. You can spend as much money as you want. You can hire the best teachers in the world. And if they want to not learn, they will not learn. Because the learning process isn't about how much money you spend, how many hours you spend, or what teachers you send. It's about the will of the mind to say, I want to learn. You can blame it on the educational system. You can blame it on evolutionistic humanism, but fundamentally, the lack of learning going on is in our children's lack of desire to learn. And hence, God's Word says, if they want to be ignorant, be ignorant. If you don't want to know God's Word, okay. Don't come here and pretend. Go be ignorant of it. Have at it. It's going to cost you. It's going to cost you not to know what God says. In his word. You want to be ignorant of it? Because you say, well, I'm going to stand before God and say, I didn't know I was supposed to be doing that. So you can't judge me. Oh, yes, he can. And he will. But my responsibility is to teach those who want to be taught. So we have all this stuff out of God's word that we don't want to hear, let alone obey. The first step to obedience is hearing. And that we know just from watching our own families. What is the first thing your children try to pretend in their steps to disobedience? I didn't hear you. How could you not hear me? I don't, there, there is no place in my house that when I yell, you can't hear me. There just isn't. I got a voice like that. I can do that. And when I get, I didn't hear you. That's what I think. You hear just the, 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 
Even if you don't hear the distinct words, you hear my voice that loud, you better come find out what it's about. And make sure it's not about you. And so we come to God and say, I didn't know, I didn't know, I didn't know, because you didn't want to hear it. You want a blessing. And this, this is really a powerful, positive passage. Boy, I got three Ps out there. Positive, powerful passage. There you go. This is a wonderful statement of Christ. Think about it. Think what you're missing. Think of how expensive your ignorance of the Word of God is. Think of it. What you're missing out on. More blessed than Mary. Greater than John the Baptist in the kingdom of heaven. You're throwing it away because you don't want to hear it. I can't hear you. I can't hear you. This is what we say to God. And what are we missing? (laughs) The blessing. The blessing. The blessing. The greatest blessing on earth. Because we don't want to hear it. We want to go to places and we want to engage ourselves in that will distract us from God's Word, not focus our attention on God's Word. And in reality, that's what most of our entertainment does, is efforts to distract us from thinking. Distract us from asking important questions and discussing them and considering them and applying God's Word to them. The fact is, most of your life's energy is poured into avoiding the hearing of God's Word. We find every excuse not to be under its teaching. But fundamentally, if you want to be ignorant, be ignorant. It's going to cost you, not me. I'm going to know God's word. I'm going to hear it. Then I'm going to do it. Because there's a great blessing that I want in my life. I want to be in this condition. And if you don't want to be there, you don't want God to bless your life, you don't want to be more blessed than Mary, the mother of Jesus, then be ignorant. Go ahead. God's word says, If you're ignorant, be ignorant. If you want to hear God's word, hear it. And do it. But you cannot ever get to the doing of it when we refuse in our mind to hear it. See, the doing comes out of our will. The hearing comes out of our mind. I and many pastors keep trying to move your heart, move your will, And I think there's some error there. God himself can't move your will. (laughs) Did you get that? There's error in us trying to motivate you to obey. Motivate you to obey. I think there is error. I think I need to follow 1 Corinthians 14 and let you be ignorant. We have all these pastors and all these churches setting up mechanisms trying to make you obey. 
through guilt, through um, excitement, through programs. Uh, you know, <laughs> Brother Archuleta talked about the one church that they visited with Pastor Reddy, who in order to bring in more money had a competition between part of the church against part of the church who could give more. You know what that is? That is a pastor trying to get his people to obey instead of getting them to hear. It's not my job to make you obey. It is my job for you to hear. The question is, are you listening? Because you cannot get to the obedient step if you don't hear first. And if you are here and you know more and you don't need this and you don't need to hear what's in Sunday school hour and so you don't make that a priority on your Sunday morning, you know more about the Old Testament prophets than I do and you don't need to hear that on Sunday night, then you do that and, and, and you be ignorant. But recognize what's going to happen. You're missing God's blessing in your life. But if we choose to hear and then obey, more blessed are you than Mary, greater in the kingdom of heaven than John the Baptist. This is what God offers you. A very powerful, positive statement to correct an error. And I love that, and I wish I were better at that, of correcting error by making positive statements. And so I'm going to try it, and that is, we're going to teach God's Word. If you don't want to hear it, don't come. But I neither can I make you obey it. And I will not strive to. We'll have church discipline on these situations when they arise. But fundamentally, uh, even that can't force obedience. You're not children. And so I want to challenge you. Give glory to God by hearing Him and then doing it. What He calls you for. We studied this extensively in 1 John and we'll continue to take it up as we encounter it throughout God's Word. Be more blessed than Mary. Be greater in the kingdom than John. Hear God's word today. Open your mind to it. And then submit your heart to it and obey it. Let's pray. Our gracious God, we thank you for your word of truth. And Lord, we must acknowledge that there is a lot here that we don't want to hear. That I don't want to hear. But Lord, it's truth. And we... We are missing your blessing for refusal to hear it in our arrogance, in our stubbornness. So we humble ourselves and pray that your truth might penetrate our minds, that our hearts might surrender themselves to it. I pray you might find not only individuals in this church in this condition, 
of hearing your word and doing it. But as a body, we might rise up with great blessing before your throne. That as a church family, we are known as those who hear the word of God and do it. Lord, help us to hear you today. Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen.